This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 17. Welcome to TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Punihet and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Punihet. Good afternoon, Randy. So in this episode, we welcome Chris Lehman, author of Building School 2.0. Chris is the Assistant Superintendent for Innovation for the School District of Philadelphia and the founding principal of the Science Leadership Academy a progressive science and technology high school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Science Leadership Academy is an inquiry-driven, project-based, one-to-one laptop school that is considered to be one of the pioneers of the School 2.0 movement, both nationally and internationally. Chris has received many recognitions for his work, including the 2014 McGraw-Hill Prize in Education, the 2013 Outstanding Leader of the Year by the International Society of Technology and Education, ISTE, and the 2009 Outstanding Young Education Award from ASCD. He's written for many publications and has been featured speaker at many conferences, and he blogs at practicaltheory.org. Welcome, Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. So to kick off the conversation, uh, Warren Berger has written a book called The More Beautiful Question, and in that book he describes a beautiful question as one that's ambitious and actionable. So when you were working with Zach Chase to write the book, Building School 2.0, what was the beautiful question that was behind your work? Um, I think, you know, at root it was how can we make schools more authentic, empowering, caring, and modern places for both children and adults? So thinking about some of those propositions, how should education, learning, and physical spaces change because of the changing nature of our lives brought on by this technology use that we have so prevalently available to us? And you know, what role should technology play and what role shouldn't it play 
in education and classrooms? Sure. Um, so I think, number one, we have to understand that in, in many respects, classrooms were the places we came in the past. Classes, classrooms were the places we came together because that's where the information was, right? And when information was not uh, sort of ubiqui ubiquitously accessible, we went to where the teachers were, and that, and that placed the teacher very much in the center of the classroom, if not in the sort of the metaphorical center of the classroom, if not in the sort of front of the room, as we often saw. And I think today what we need to understand is that there's a different reason to be in the room, right? And that is today, you know, um, the lecture is less important when you can get the lecture online or what have you, and now the reason to be in the room is because we're there together and because we can do things together and that's a powerful thing so i think the idea that technology you know as i like to say is you know should be ubiquitous necessary and invisible it's got to be everywhere it's got to be part of everything you do and then you got to stop talking about it so much um you know, that's the purpose of technology what it's not is a sort of way to do old school better right like so if the greatest use we can imagine for technology is that we watch a lecture and then answer a multiple choice, you know, quiz online about the lecture we just watched, then, you know, shame on us, right? And our failure of imagination will be great and terrible. I think that we have to understand that pretty deeply. Um, I think what technology allows kids and people to do is to create, to research, to network, to share, uh, to collaborate in more powerful ways and to understand that, again, now I would argue that the job of school is not so much to make sure kids have all the information they need, but rather that kids are facile at turning information into knowledge and wisdom. All these ideas sound very similar to a podcast we did yesterday, actually, with Young Zhao. Sure. And uh, it's it's great to be able to connect with these minds um, that help us as we're move, trying to move our own school district forward. So uh, as an administrator at SLA and now in the city of Philadelphia as the assistant superintendent, um, you're trying to bring about change uh, in the educational system. And as a school leader, we think that one of the toughest challenges is, is balancing the work on moving towards that change and also uh, juggling at the same time that sort of administrivia. So as a school leader, how do you balance those things? Because it's really one of the biggest challenges, I think, of leadership. Yeah, I think I'm bad at paperwork. Um, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I think... You know, it's funny. One of the things we try to teach kids here at SLA in a project-based environment is that, you know, when you're juggling a lot of different things, not everything gets your best effort all the time. You know what I mean? And one of the challenges of adulthood, I think, which we can teach in our schools to kids at an earlier age, is what what is it that you do that has to be good enough? And what is it that you have to do that you want to be the thing that you invest your energy and passion in? And... Do the things that need to be good enough, good enough, and then find the time for the stuff that you you know that you want to make your passion play. And I think that's 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 one answer. And I think maybe you know as an assistant superintendent, maybe I shouldn't give that answer anymore. I don't know, but um, I think it's true, right? I mean, like you know, I, I I was never the principal who went, oh my god, I get to fill out my federal monitoring forms now. Thank <laughs> God, yes, this is why I became an educator. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and those have got to be done good enough. And that's all they have to be done. And um, the work of the day is what matters. And I think that's number one. I think number two is you have to understand that, like, if 
if your goal is to do everything you've always done and do the new stuff, you're going to break everybody, students and teachers alike. So the question becomes also, what are your, you know, one of the things I like to say is like, what is, what is your legacy app? What are the things that you have to give up? What are the things that you no longer need because you're inventing a new model, because you're doing things differently, right? Like, so for example, and schools are filled with legacy apps, right? I don't know why, you know, I don't know why any high school would have the 10 minute homeroom in the beginning of the day anymore, right? That was, that's a legacy app from the days when first period was when you took attendance, right? Mm -hmm. Or when homeroom was when you took attendance. Now kids swipe in. So you don't need that 10 minutes anymore. Can you reconstitute it? Can you do something different with it? Can you rethink it? Um, you know, you don't need to read the morning announcements over the loudspeaker anymore <laughs> when everybody can get them on their phone. And those are the kinds of things that we think about um, when, you know, when we think about what do we give up, right? Because you can't just keep adding stuff on, right? Uh, there's a wonderful uh, book about coding that was written, my goodness, about 15 years ago. It's called In the Beginning There Was the Command Line by Neil Stevenson. It's an amazing essay. And he talks about how code gets crufty. Right, because people don't take the time to rewrite their code all the time. What they do is they just write new code over old. And I think that's true of schools as well. And sometimes you gotta kinda say, what's the old code that is now crufty code that is actually getting that is slowing down our our, our ability to process and do things in a new way. Mm -hmm. And how do we peel that crusty code off right. Uh, right. and get something new out of it too? That's exactly right. And that leads into our next question about SLA and, you know, the difference that we have here. You know, how is starting from scratch where you did at SLA different from changing a system steeped in what's always been done, which is what we're experiencing here in, in our district? Sure. I mean, and there's, there's pluses and minuses to both, right? I mean, I think that, you know... The, the beautiful thing about SLA is that we started with tabula rasa, right? We started with it with a clean slate and could do and could literally iterate through this question of like, how will every last thing we do be lashed to the vision, right? And that was really, really important. And um, that was a wonderful experience. So we could say like, how does the way the kids eat lunch lash to our vision? How does the way the kids, you know, enter and leave the building lash to the vision? And, and everything was subject to that lens. The hard part was that we had to invent all of those things, right? Which was, you know, I like to joke that I was six foot three when I started SLA and I'm five <laughs> foot six now. Um, it's a very different thing. And so, you know, the good news is, is there's stuff you guys are doing that is perfectly awesome and great and you'll keep doing them. And to not have to invent everything is, um, you know, really nice. Um, the hard part is you guys are going to have to, it's harder to get people to give up the things they're good at because they are defining who they are and they're defining their, I'm good at this kind of model, as opposed to us where we came together with the idea and everybody was getting on board with this idea of we're going to do something differently now. And so there are pieces of the puzzle that are much, much easier around change agency. But as far as the lift of, oh, my God, we're starting an entirely new school, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a hell of a lift. I mean, um, there's a, for those of us who've been here for a long time, um, there was a great moment in year five, which is now you know, five years ago, where I stood in front of the faculty at the first, you know, at the first meeting and you know of the year that year and i said all right guys we've done everything once we don't have to do any new thing this year now we just can start getting good at stuff and that was um you know that was a gift mm. you know that was mm -hmm. a wonderful thing 
is that first year we're like, oh my God, we've done every class once. We know what graduation looks like. We know what junior year looks like. We know what the college process looks like. We know all of that. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Now let's actually start to figure out what the hell we actually want to do, which was wonderful. So one of the hallmarks of SLA is the core values of inquiry, research, collaboration, presentation, and reflection. Can you talk a little bit about how in the beginning, how, the, how you arrived at those core values and how did the role of consensus play in that process? The core values actually was something we developed with the Franklin Institute in the planning process before we had teachers. And it was really sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, stemming out of the scientific, the way we, you know, sort of scientists authentically learn in the field, right? That was that sort of inquiry process that, that when we talked to folks, that's what that kind of, um, we felt that really was uh, the way they learned. Um, so that was something that everybody, that the teachers came on and inherited as far as what the core values were. I think where consensus came in was what does that mean and how will we manifest that and what will that look like? And we did a lot of work in that um, planning year. I had all of my teachers hired by, I think, the first week of April for the next, for September. And even though people were still in co- in college or graduate school or working other jobs or whatever, we actually planned the whole school in a Moodle instance we set up, um, going to old school tech there. And um, we decided that Moodle was going to be the course management system we would use. And we taught ourselves how to use Moodle by using it authentically to plan the school. Mm-hmm. And we would do, most of what we did was asynchronous conversation. And then every Monday night, we would do a synchronous chat session where we would sort of take on some of the hardest questions we saw emerge over the week and take them on in a place where we could all talk at the same time. And then we came together for two weeks in July for two weeks of eight hours a day of sitting and locking ourselves in a room with chart paper and kind of really drilling deeply down into everything we wanted to do and hammering out a lot of this sort of moving from sort of the sort of planning phases to operationalizing the stuff. And then, uh, and then that first, you know, several years was sort of every week was, where are we? Are we doing this well? What do we need to learn? What do we need to get better at? And just iterate, 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 um, sort of ad nauseum. Um, it was awesome, right? I mean, it was this amazing, it, it was, um, this amazing time. It's funny. Somebody said to me a couple of years ago, like, will you go start another school as a principal? And I was like, no, no, never, never, <laughs> ever, ever. Again. Um, and, you know, and just on some level, uh, I mean, you know, it was just, it was a wonderful experience to have and I'm glad I had it and I wouldn't trade those years for anything in the world. But, um, I was six foot three when I started. And, <laughs> so certainly as you did that work, you had carte blanche, as you said, and you had to describe the theory and practice. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you blended those two together and what it looks like at SLA? There is really no, I mean, the way you blend them together is by blending them together, right? I mean, like you do it by the way you do it. And uh, I think for us, everything was how do you operationalize it? How do you systematize it, right? So we have at SLA a, what I consider to be a sort of ecosystem of teaching and learning that is this very organic very sort of whole system of teaching and learning so that everything kind of adds up. And that's starting with, you know, 
everybody uses the core values when they plan a unit. They sit there and say, well, like they've got to ask themselves those questions of how will the kids interact with the core values in this unit. Everybody uses understanding by design to plan their use it, units. Everybody will use a school-wide rubric with every unit that ends in a pro every unit ends in a project, and that is projects are graded on a school-wide rubric. We have grade-wide essential questions and themes. We have discipline-specific standards that range vertically, that grow vertically as kids get older. Um, so it's this really vigorous sort of language of teaching and learning that is common to all. And the beautiful thing about that is, is that when you create that common language of teaching and learning and common processes and common tools, you don't stand you don't have to standardize, right? I think that, you know, people think that you have to standardize because that's the way you can ensure kids get all the same thing. And I think that's like the worst idea in the world. But the funny thing about that is is that the piece that's interesting is the impulse to make sure that kids are having a common experience. The mistake is thinking that the way to do that is make making all the kids do the exact same thing. The way to do it in a way that is authentic and empowering and caring and modern is to create this ecosystem that everybody, that all the adults buy into. So that way the adults are all speaking a common language of teaching and learning. So the space between the adults is is limited and, and is reduced. So that way kids are speaking that same, now kids are speaking the same language when they go from class to class to mm -hmm. class about what learning looks like. And when they are speaking that same language and the expectations of what learning looks like are common, then the stuff we fill the learning with, the actual skills and content we teach, don't have to be standardized, right? And the way that a kid can manifest their learning can look different um, based on who they are because the content, I mean, obviously there's certain content that you have to teach and all the rest of it, but there's so much variability within that. There's so much to learn in the world that if you give kids a framework for teaching and learning that enables them to be active and engaged learners, not only does that benefit them in high school, but that's the thing that's gonna benefit them for the rest of their lives because they can apply that skill of how they learn to what they do for whatever comes next for gener you know, for decades, mm -hmm. which is really powerful. And that's that manifestation of practical theory, right? Which is that this idea that, that creating that ecosystem, making it real, tying it to very real practices that we all engage in as the adults and making those practices transparent to kids and for kids and with kids is what then enables kids to do the stuff at the high level we want them to do it. So earlier you um, indicated that the school's been around for, is this the 10th year now? This is, this is year 10. Year 10, 10. Year 10. So how, after 10 years, do you uh, not lose sight of what you have as being special? How do you keep the routine from becoming uninspiring? Sure. I mean, I think the easiest way is that you watch children, right? I mean, like you see amazing things that kids do. And, you know, the cool thing is, is that like, again, when students have agency, when students have voice and choice, and when students have the power to sort of take a lot of ownership in their own learning, you don't ever get sick of, you know, the Hamlet project because the <laughs> Hamlet project looks different. Right. Mm -hmm. um, kids keep coming up with new stuff that blows us away. And I think that's a big thing. I think the other thing is, is that we truly try to be, you know, our professional development, our professional learning is inquiry driven. Right, so that same manifestation of what are the really powerful questions we got to keep asking ourselves, and how are we going to get better at our craft through the asking of those questions keeps you vibrant, right? I mean, you know that that's, you know, I mean, you just keep asking what are the questions we, what are the problems we got to solve, what are the questions we got to ask, what are the answers we have to seek, and what does all of that mean today? It might have looked different. The questions that we asked last year might be different than the questions we're asking this year. That's great. Or maybe they're the same, but we're still finding what those new answers are. Like maybe the questions remain common, but the answers are now different because mm -hmm. we've got a different set of 500 kids. Mm -hmm. And all of that is great or, you know, something changed or what have you. So, I mean, I think trusting in that is trusting in the fact that that process of the way we learn 
as as adults, as kids, what have you, is is that that's that that notion of inquiry and that notion of how we learn through the asking of powerful questions that that remains common and constant. Then it keeps you vibrant. Now it doesn't mean that every day is awesome, right? I mean, I think that's the big mistake that people think is that this does not mean that you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that it doesn't feel like drudgery sometimes, right? I mean, like, I don't care if you're playing in the NBA, shooting, you know, a thousand foul shots or free throws at the end of, at the end of practice sucks. But standing on the uh, standing on the free throw line with two shots up by one, with you're know, down by one with three, two seconds to go, and knowing that you've put in a thousand shots every single solitary day, so you're ready for the moment. It's awesome. But that doesn't mean, and one of the things that I think we've got to teach kids is that authenticity doesn't mean fun all the time. Mm-hmm. Authenticity mm-hmm. means meaningful, powerful, relevant, important. And that if something if that if you as a 16 year old or as a 45 year old can sit here and say, I can understand. I can recognize that the work I am doing is important, that it has value to me and to others today, that it is relevant and vital to me and my life and my community, and it's really hard and there's moments when I hate it, but I'm going to power through it because I understand that this is meaningful, powerful, relevant, not someday, but today, now, for the human being I am and the community I live in, that we can do great things. We can teach people to do that it is that that hard is worthwhile if meaningful, relevant, empowering is is visible and real and tangible. So thinking about your propositions, and we've certainly used a few of these. I'm I connected with one as we were talking. Your idea nine, what's good is better than what's new. And this idea that you said after our five years, we've lived through everything. Okay, let's think about what's good instead of focusing on something new. Can you give us another example of a proposition that really stands out for you as important and um, critical and why you feel that way? (laughs) Actually, one of my favorites, um, which is uh, it's thesis 49, uh, stop deficit model thinking. And I think that that's a really important one when we think about sort of whole school reform or whole school design, um, that's one of the ones that's really sort of big school focused, which is and and also has incredible power and relevance in teacher practice. But it's one that I think you know when we look nationally and we listen to the dialogue about teaching and we listen to the dialogue about education in this country, it's you know how do we fix our broken schools? And I think that that is um, that's a that's a thin value proposition because it's coming from that deficit model. And I think that when we think about what are the strengths and what are the, what are the amazing things that happen in spite of the things in spite of knowing that schools aren't where they need to be that kids need to learn things that kids have you know that we all have deficits but rather how do we how do we how do we create institutions that help people play to their strengths and mitigate their weaknesses and how do we change the national dialogue such that we help schools play to their strengths and mitigate their weaknesses and i think that when we do that i think that's a really powerful idea that that flips the script and is a much more empowering uh way to think about both a child's education, but also education writ large. And I think as leaders too, one of our challenges is to buffer um, our teachers and our students and families from that negativity. And we certainly, in at least in public education, uh, get dumped on quite a bit in towards that deficit <laughs> model, that negativity. And it's it's one of the challenges of leadership. Yeah. So we started off the interview um, asking you what the beautiful question was behind the book. So. What beautiful questions are you thinking about these days? What, where does your work as a school leader take you, and what kinds of uh, inquiries are you uh, taking part in? Well, I, I think the the beautiful question I'm I'm asking these days is what does innovation look like writ large, right? And um, you know, how do you how does it scale? And I think that that's incredible. And how do you 
move a district, you, you know, a district to a more innovative model mm -hmm. of not only teaching and learning, but also just of operation. And I think that um, that's both a beautiful and truly vexing question. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I would say that that's the sort of big idea I'm playing with these days a lot. And um, yeah, I'm starting to formulate some answers. Um, opening, I mean, the funny thing is, is that the sort of ba the most basic version of let's open some new schools with different models that are more powerful um, and you know more authentic. I, I think that's actually the easy part of like as as hard as it is to open new schools well. Um, believe it or not, that's almost the easiest part of the equation. The harder piece is what do we do? We you know we're not gonna we're not going to open 218 new schools to replace the 218 schools we have. So how do we also think about school transformation, the work that you guys are doing, um, you know, as a major piece of the strategy for the school district? How do we think about the way the school district, you know, again, 218 schools, 180,000 kids, something like 12,000, 10 to 12,000 employees. It's a massive, mm -hmm. massive organization. How does that organization become more nimble, more transparent, more innovative in its practice as a district? Um, more trusting, more uh, everything it needs to do. And um, thinking about those sort of bifurcated questions of what does it mean to build more schools in an innovative model? What does it mean to move more existing schools to an innovative model? And what does it mean to think more in, in a more modern and innovative fashion about the work of the district writ large? And those are the three big questions, I think, um, that keep me up at night right now. Well, similar here too, because um, this whole idea of you know what is innovation and how how is that defined? It's certainly a word that's been tossed around quite a bit, uh, right. especially most recently. And everybody has their own spin on it too. And and for us, we're a small system. We're you know four schools and only sixteen hundred students, um, and you know about one hundred and forty teachers. But how do we scale up some of these ideas too? And, and taking the things that are working well. Uh, within our system and how do we scale them up and we certainly don't have a system the size of Philadelphia but um, working on a lot of the same questions or at least thinking about them too right no it's, it's you know everybody does it I mean I think all of us who are engaged in the work right now are trying to figure out how to do it within our own you know sort of sphere of influence and zone of development I think that's that's what we do thanks for joining us Chris if you'd like to learn more about Chris's work please visit practicaltheory.org each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This week's question, if you were building School 2.0, what core values would you want to develop in your students? If you've enjoyed today's episode and like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 2, Episode 17. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one- or two-sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Take care, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? 
save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.